Well, t- uh, today uh, we, we kind of wrap things up for uh, a series on uh, the cross, and uh, we will end that today, but then we'll begin an, an, another series coming up this next Sunday. But forgetfulness, forgetfulness, how is that topic in your life? <laughs> Do you remember? Anyway, there's a story about a uh, city dweller who was visiting relatives on a farm, and the farmer gave a whistle, and his dog herded the cattle into the crown, then latched the gate with her paw. Wow, said that city slicker, that's some, some dog, what's her name? And the forgetful farmer thought for a minute, and then he asked, uh, what, what do you call that uh, red flower that smells good and has thorns on, on the stem? And uh, the city guy said, uh, a, a rose? And uh, he said, that's it, that's it. And then the farmer turned to his wife, hey, Rose, what do we call this dog? Forgetfulness. Sometimes we just, we don't know some things uh, we, that we did know. <laughs> Are you forgetful? Are you a forgetful person? I know I am, <laughs> or at least I think I am. Uh, don't remember. But anyway, I have forgotten appointments. Um, I've forgotten to bring things to people. Uh, just a few days ago, Becky asked me to go ahead and bring her flip-flops to her as I was coming out to walk with her uh, over at the school. I forgot. <laughs> I didn't remember to do that. But maybe even to pick something up from the store. Uh, <laughs> if I had a nickel for every time I had forgotten something, I probably wouldn't remember where I put all the nickels anyway. But uh, I was relieved, though, recently to find, a, uh, out, find out that I'm not the only one who forgets things. According to, uh, to researcher Karen Bola, everything, everyone forgets things at one time or another. There are, the, there are six things people most often forget. Maybe you can uh, see where you come in on, and those who are online, you might be able to chime in and, in the uh, messages and say, yes, this is what I forget most often, or this is it. But uh, the top six things, uh, uh, the sixth thing people most often forget are faces. Faces. 42% of people forget faces. You know, <laughs> these days... That percentage might have gone up a little bit because half of our face has been covered most often. And uh, once those masks come off, you go, uh, yeah, I think I know you. I mean, we were, <laughs> Becky and I were over at Josh and Lisa's, Becky's brother's place, just to drop something off. And uh, they were without their masks. And, and it was fine. We were outside and everything. And it wasn't tense or anything like that. But we looked at them and we're like, wow, we, We've only seen this for so much, and now we see the whole face. That's, it's been a while, <laughs> so it's, it's interesting. Uh, the fifth thing that people often forget are uh, what, was, what was said. What was said? 49% of you apparently forget what, what is said. Um, I, there are moments where I come home, and I've had uh, 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 would meet with Maddie for lunch or for dinner down in Salem or something like that, and beg me to say, would Ask me at times, she said, well, what did she say? What, what? I'm like, I don't remember what she said exactly. Um, so I'm part of that 49%, definitely. Uh, the fourth uh, thing that people forget most often, words. Just words. 53% of us forget the words. Uh, we're talking, and then we stop and go, uh-oh, where's, where's that word? What's that word for, oh, and then, then we got to ask somebody and try to define it and try to describe it. Anyway, yeah, so words. And then uh, a third thing is uh, telephone numbers. 57% of us don't remember telephone numbers. And, you know, these days, (laughs) 
Why remember when you have a cell phone, right? <laughs> and you can just say, hey, Siri. <laughs> or you say, okay, Google, call. Some, so many times you do that. Uh, the second thing that uh, uh, people forget the most is where something is. Where something is. I don't know if any of you online have uh, chimed in on this at all and said, yes, this is where I'm at with that type of thing. But uh, where something is, usually, usually it's when you need it the most, right? You, you can't remember where that thing is. I've been out in our garage a number of times gone through the garage, grab something, come back, and then I remember some things out there, and I go, oh, I better better remember where that's at. I'm going to want to find that next time. And then I go back out in the garage looking for that item, and I can't find it. I, where was that? I remember it was right here, I think. And so those things, where, where something is. 60, 60% of us forget where something is. And then the top thing, maybe you've already guessed it, but the top thing that people forget the most are names. Names. It's funny, uh, when people would forget Becky and I, our name, um, they would call us Steve and Debbie. Steve and Debbie. It's been so consistent, so weird. I don't know why. So you can just call me Pastor Steve, I guess, for a while. And my wife, Debbie, been in the back there. But 83% of us forget names. Uh, you're, you, you've been there probably. You, you meet somebody for the first time, and they introduce you and, you and all that, and you hear their name, and you continue to talk with them. And about five minutes later, you're going... What was that person's name? Oh, and you try to remember. And if you can't remember whether you just uh, done something, <laughs> did I lock my car? Did, did I remember to roll up my window when I came in for church? Did I remember to turn off uh, uh, the oven? Or, or did I remember to blow out the candles before I left the home today? Those things, if you're, if you, you're in that category, you join 38% of the population. <laughs> Forget those things as well. But have you forgotten to remember? Have you forgotten to remember? Are you getting up to get something or going to do something and forgetting along the way? Most likely what you need to do is go back and sit back down again and the pressure from the bottom pops it up to your brain again and you remember what you're going to do. So that's a, that's a little tip for you if you need to do that and you forget what you're doing when you get up and go do something. There are many times I've wandered through the house back and forth going, what was it that I was getting? What was I doing right now? It's kind of strange. Appointments, again, even when it's on your calendar, sometimes appointments we, we miss out on. Uh, we need a reminder to remind us to check our calendar, I guess. I do, anyway. And then, of course, going to the grocery store just the other day. I went to the grocery store getting milk, and I got milk, went through the line, and it was busy, uh, and went through the line, came out to the car, and I wasn't parked real close. It was fine. I enjoyed the day. It was nice and sunny. I was able to walk. Get to the car, and I, as I, sitting down, <laughs> remembered, as I sat down in the car, I thought, oh, I need bread. Oh, and I thought, just bread. So I go walking back on in. It took me about 15 minutes to try to get the bread only. But stuff like that, we forget. And what do we do to try to remember? Oh, we can tie a string around our finger, right? What do you guys do online? Maybe you can put in a, your the notification there and, what do you do in trying to remind yourself of different things to remember? Is it a string around the finger? Is it uh, maybe you make a list? I know on my phone I've got a list I can put on there, and that reminds me what I'm getting at the grocery store or whatever else. Uh, maybe you tell somebody, remind me, remind me to, to do this, and, uh, and they do that for you. Or maybe you, <laughs> maybe these days you even send yourself a text reminder. <laughs> you text yourself, don't forget to do this. Uh, all those things, whatever it takes, you probably are able to uh, find a good strategy to help you remember. 
Well, we've been going through uh, the series on the cross. And again, we are wrapping this up, this message today. And uh, we've looked at remembering to, uh, to take up the cross. We looked at the cost of the cross. We've looked at the power of the cross and uh, the freedom of the cross as well, too. And uh, today we're going to be wrapping up a series on the cross and this last message, message about remembering the cross. We need to remember the cross in these days ahead. Something that we should never forget. Now, Paul in his letters was reminding the followers of Christ about a number of things. And, and there were uh, a number of times he would, he would help them, don't forget to remember. Remember these things in your life. And one of the things he touched upon was for them not to forget to remember who they were before they believed in Jesus. Who they were, what, what their life was before. And I think we need to be reminded of the same things in order to value what we have now. We look back on the cross and we're reminded, okay, we were once this, now we're, you know, because of the cross, we're now this. We need to be reminded of those things. But especially before the cross. Don't forget to remember these things. And Paul mentioned it uh, to those he wrote to and, uh, in the letters that we read in the New Testament. And one of them he wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. He says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Paul recognized that. And I think he's telling, telling us, don't forget who you were when Christ called you. Don't forget who you were when Christ called you. Paul calls himself the worst of sinners. <laughs> we think of Paul as a great hero of the faith, not a worst of the sinners. But Paul never saw himself that way because he remembered his life before he met Christ. The more Paul understood God's grace, the, the more he was aware of his own sinfulness. The humility and gratitude should mark the life of every Christian. They should, it should come together and guide us as well, too. We should never forget to remember that we, too, are sinners saved by grace. Remember your situation when Jesus called you. And Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, and in, in Ephesians chapter 2, he addresses the issue developing between the, the Jews and the Gentiles. The devout Jews were, they considered all non-Jews, the Gentiles, ceremonially unclean. They thought of themselves as pure and clean because of their national heritage and religious ceremonies. Uh, and then Paul pointed out that Jews and Gentiles were both unclean before God <laughs> and needed to be cleansed by Christ. Both groups needed to remember who they were before Jesus. And in order to realize how great a gift uh, salvation is, we need to remember our former natural unclean condition and realize how much we need the cleansing of Jesus Christ in our lives. And also the, the Jews and Gentiles were in danger of, of spiritual pride in this. And, and Paul wanted to address this. The Jews for uh, spiritual pride for thinking their faith and traditions elevated them above everyone else. We keep the law. We follow the rules. We do these things that God has told us to do. So we are good people. And then the Gentiles, uh, their spiritual pride for trusting in their achievements and their power and position. Look what I've done. Look how we've gotten here. Spiritual pride blinds us to our own faults and heightens uh, the faults of others, doesn't it? 
We look at them and go, mm, you shouldn't be doing that. Oh, that's, that's not good because I'm doing these things and, and, and that's, that's much better. We need to be careful not to become proud of our salvation. Now, we should be thankful. <laughs> we, we should be uh, so very thankful and grateful for that. We need to humbly thank God for what he has done and then encourage others who might be struggling in their faith, encouraging them, not nailing them down and saying what they're not doing and what they should be doing like us. And Paul had to remind the Gentiles that they had a past that didn't involve Jesus or even glorify God. Both Jew and Gentile were in need of grace and a dose of humility. <laughs> Look who you were. Look at who you were, Paul would tell them. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, we see this. And he goes on in, in helping them remember not to forget. He says, don't forget that at one time, you were without Christ. He said that in verse 12, the first part of it. Remember that at the time you were separate from Christ. We all were there. We were there at that moment. We did not know Christ. We were separated from him until that day when, when Jesus called us and we came to him in our need as a sinner need, need, in need of grace. Also, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, the second part of that, he says, uh, we are excluded from, or they were excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. Basically telling them, don't forget you only had an earthly citizenship. And I believe that's, that's something we need to be reminded as well too. Before Jesus, we did not have this, this uh, uh, hope of heaven. <laughs> we did not have, we were just here on this earth and that's all it was. Once we died, we just go into the dirt and you know, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, and then we're done. But now that we have Jesus in our life, we have that hope of heaven. And we have that place of eternity that we can look forward to. A citizenship that's not just earthly. <laughs> and then Paul also mentions to the, uh, the church in Ephesus in uh, that same verse, the last part of verse 12. He says, don't forget, oh, he said, without hope. You're without hope, without God in the world. And basically telling us, don't forget that you did not have a relationship with God or even hope in your life. And again, we can look at our own lives and go, yep, that's true. That's true. And, you know, Paul never forgot. He set a good example of not forgetting to remember. Paul never forgot his past. He wrote to uh, the church in Corinth in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9. He says, for I am the least of the apostles and do not even desire to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He remembered what he did. He remembered his past. And as a zealous Pharisee, Paul had been an enemy of the Christian church, even to the point of capturing and persecuting believers. You can read all about it in Acts chapter 9. He felt unworthy to be called an apostle of Christ, even though he was the most influential uh, apostle. <clears throat> and Paul was deeply, deeply humble. He knew that he had worked hard, and accomplished a lot of things. But only because God had poured kindness and grace upon him. It wasn't just because of what Paul did, what God did through him. True, true humility is not convincing yourself that you are worthless. That's not true humility. True humility is recognizing God's work in you. It's not just your efforts. It's God through you, using you working through you. It's having God's perspective on who you are and acknowledging his grace and developing 
your abilities. You may not be very good at what it is right now that God has for you at this moment, but God is developing that and continuing to show you and guide you as you continue to journey in this walk as a Christian. Paul never forgot his past. Paul also never forgot the privilege he was given in spite of his past. (laughs) He wrote again to the uh, church in Ephesus in chapter 3 of Ephesians. He says, although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, when Paul describes himself as the least deserving Christian there is, he means that without God's help, he would never be able to do God's work. And I think we all need to remember that and be relying upon his power in our life to be able to do these things. But still, God chose him to share the good news with the Gentiles and gave him the power to do it, even though he he felt he was... He was the least of the apostles, and he, less than, than the least of all God's people. If we feel that our role is minor, we may be right. The role in the church, the role in, in, in God's plan, we may be right, except that we have forgotten what a difference God makes in a person's life. The Holy Spirit can come upon someone guiding and directing them and giving them the ability, giving them the resource the words to say, whatever it is, to be used by God in a particular situation. So how does God want to use you? <laughs> how does God want to use you in a particular situation? Maybe there's someone in your family that God has pointed out to you that, you know, you, you might need to talk to, or you might need to share, or you might need to show whatever it might be, God's love in that way. <clears throat> but how does God want to use you? Draw on his power. Don't rely on your own. Draw on his power. Do your part and faithfully perform the special role God has called you to play in his plan, but trust on his power. Be that available servant, faithful servant, ready to be used by God, doing whatever it is with the abilities he's given you, but then allowing God to work through you and empower you to fulfill what he has in plan. Paul never forgot the privilege he he was given in spite of his past. And Paul never forgot his former hatred for the church. Now, maybe you guys have some skeletons in your closet from the past because of the sins and all, but that has been forgiven. That closet has been cleaned out, by the way. Hello, God has forgiven you. Don't forget that. God has forgiven you in that. If you come to Jesus as your Savior, those sins are forgotten, forgiven. So any skeletons you might think you have in your closet, they might be the only ones that you might be doing that yourself. (laughs) Satan might be bringing that back up and don't let him do that. But Paul, he never forgot his former hatred for the church. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 13, as he wrote to those uh, people in Galatia, he says, for you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. Paul did. He tried to destroy the church. He was out after them. Paul had been one of the most religious Jews of his day, thoroughly keeping the law and relentlessly persecuting Christians. Again, you can check up on that in Acts chapter 9 and follow that. But before his conversion, Paul had been even more zealous for the law than the Judaizers. He had surpassed his contemporaries in religious knowledge and and practice, and Paul had been sincere in his zeal. But he was sincerely wrong as well. When, we, when he met Jesus, 
His life was changed on the road to Damascus. His life was incredibly changed. He then directed all his energies toward building up the Christian church. Paul never, though, he never forgot his former hatred for the church, reminding him of who he was and reminding him again of what God has done in his life, the change that has come about. God also, uh, uh, Paul also never forgot that God's grace is greater. So when you are reminded of your past and what has gone on before, don't let Satan take that and use it against you. But take that and say, you know, this is what has happened, but Christ has come into my life, and now I'm different. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for my past, but I'm most thankful for how God has changed me. So when you are reminded of who you were, don't dwell on it in a way where it's negative and allowing Satan to get a foothold, but just enough to be reminded of uh, you know, not getting, helping you not get in a big head about things and what you've done and all the things that you have accomplished. But Paul never forgot that God's grace is greater as well. In, in the, to the Corinthian church, he, again, he writes, uh, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, Paul says, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. And he acknowledged that God's grace is greater than anything that can be accomplished or done. He never forgot that God's grace is greater. The thing about remembering the cross as well, too, it can refocus us. It can refocus you on uh, what is important, what is priority. The cross is part of our past. Those of you who have received Christ as your Savior, that cross is part of your past. And remembering our past like that can give us some good perspective. Listen to what Paul tells Timothy, the young preacher, in his first letter, 1 Timothy chapter 1. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength that he considered me faithful, appointed me to his service, even though I was once a blasphemer, and a persecutor, and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out, poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners... Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So what benefits, what benefits can be found in remembering our past, remembering the cross? Well, remembering our past can make you thankful. As in verse 12 here, as uh, Paul shared, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointed me to his service. We can be thankful. If we consider all that God has done for us and uh, 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 through his son, Jesus, there should be no end to our thankfulness. We should be thankful every day for what God has done for us. I think also, too, remembering your past can make you humble. Remember, your past can make you humble. Remember that cross. In verses 13 and 14, the same thing as well, too, with Paul. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. 
the grace of the Lord uh, was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. We may feel that our faith in God and our love for Christ and for others is inadequate, as Paul kind of was revealing here too, but we can be, can be confident that Christ will help our faith and, and love grow as our relationship with him deepens, as we are reminded of who we were and the, 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 the humility we need to come to in reminding us that we are not the person who's doing these things. Remembering our past can make us humble. And remembering your past can make you useful as well. In verse 16, Paul mentions to Timothy, he says, For that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. So Paul considered his salvation useful in demonstrating God's plan to save sinners. Look at me, I'm a great example, he said. As the worst of sinners, Paul kind of represents the the extreme example. And if God was patient and gracious gracious enough to save Paul, he is patient and gracious enough to save anyone. (laughs) You think about what Paul was doing and how patient God was in his life. People can look back at Paul as an example of God's grace. And the ultimate sinner became the ultimate saint, as you look at Paul. God's greatest enemy became God's finest servant. Everybody else falls somewhere in between these extremes. And so if you look at Paul and God was able to save Paul, then okay, that's a great example. I guess I'm in. (laughs) I guess I'm not beyond all this. And so remembering her past can can make us useful. And in verse 17, as Paul was uh, writing to Timothy here, we can see that remembering your past can make you worshipful. Worshipful as well. Uh, in verse 17, he says, Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And Paul gives, a, gives us a natural, emotional response here to these, these reflections about uh, the mercy of God and his past and how God uh, was so gracious. He was so moved by God's love that he, he just broke out in spontaneous worship of God. You know, that happens when we realize who we were and what God has done for us. We can't help but at least say, praise the Lord. At least say, hallelujah. At least say, amen, when we think and consider what God has done for us. People can feel so guilt-ridden by their past. They think that uh, God could never forgive and accept them. But after hearing Paul remember his past, we might want to reconsider. (laughs) He had mocked the teachings of Jesus. He would hunted down and murdered God's people before coming to faith in Christ. Can you imagine that in your life? Can you imagine that extreme situation? And then God forgives you. And you become part of the church. (laughs) The group of people you were trying to eliminate. That's just incredible. Try to think through that. But God forgave Paul and used him in a mighty way for his kingdom. And here's the good news about all that. No matter how shameful your past, no matter how how awful you think your past is, 
God can forgive and use you too. God can do it. And again, look at Paul's life. He did it in his life. He can do it in yours as well too. Back in Ephesians chapter 2, after Paul helped the Jews and Gentiles remember who they were in verse 12, he turned to the good news in verse 13, which I want to um, uh, reveal to you here in, in closing. Two wonderful words that begin that portion of Scripture in verse 13, and depending on your translation, I suppose. But in NIV, the two words, but now. But now. Wonderful words that give us hope. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. <laughs> there are some good reminders Paul gives in his letters to the various churches that can also serve as an encouragement to us. Basically telling them, you were this, but now you are this. And I think we can look at this as well, too, and consider those things that Paul was telling his his. Uh, his readers of his letters. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So you were this, but now because of his great love, he loves you just as you are. He loves you. Nothing's going to separate you from God's love. Nothing can. And that phrase, while we were still sinners, those are some amazing words. <laughs> while we were still sinners. God sent Jesus Christ to die for us. Not because we were good enough, but just because he loved us. That's all. He loves you enough for that to happen. Whenever you feel uncertain about God's love for you, remember that he loved you even before you turned to him. Now, if that can't give you an amen or hallelujah, I don't know what can, but... Be reminded of that when you go through difficult times. God loves you. God loves you. Because of his great love, he loves you just as you are. Also, too, uh, uh, Paul wrote to uh, the uh, church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. He says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. So you were once this, but now because of his mercy, he gave you life. Because of his mercy, he gave you life. The penalty of sin and its power over us were miraculously destroyed by Christ on the cross. And through faith in Christ, we stand before God acquitted. We are not guilty. We are not guilty. But God doesn't take us out of the world or make us robots to follow him, we will still be tempted to sin. Temptation comes our way. It does. The difference is that before we became Christians, we were dead in sin. We were dead in sin. And we were slaves to our sinful nature. But now we are alive with Christ. Read up Galatians 2, verse 20, and you'll get the, the, the idea about that. But we have life. Because of his mercy, he gave you life. And another thing we can uh, uh, gather from Paul's writings to the different churches. Uh, again, back to the church in Ephesus. In verses 8 and 9 of chapter 2 of Ephesians, a familiar portion of, of Scripture, I'm sure, for many of you. 
He says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So we were once this, but now because of his grace, he saved you. Because of his grace, he saved you. When someone gives you a gift, do you say, that's very nice, how can I pay you back? How much do I owe you? (laughs) I mean, that's kind of silly, especially maybe during birthdays and maybe, I don't know, John, if you're going to get any birthday gifts today or not, uh, Linda, you better get on that. But if John were to receive a birthday gift, I don't think you'd turn around and say, oh, thank you. How much do I owe you for this? It just doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. The appropriate response to a gift is, thank you. <laughs> thank you. But how often do we Christians, even after we have been given the gift of salvation, feel obligated to try to work out or work our way to God. How many times do we find ourselves doing that? Because our salvation and even our faith, our gifts, we should respond with gratitude. We should respond with praise and, and, and joy because of our salvation, because of what has been given to us already. Because of his grace, he saved you. And finally, uh, Paul, again, writing to the, Ephesians, uh, to, to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, He says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So essentially saying you were this, but now because of his plan for you, he has good things for you to do. He has great things for you to do because of his plan for you. We become Christians through God's unmerited favor, not as a result of any effort not as a result of any ability or intelligent choice or even act of service on our part. We can't do it ourselves to be saved. But out of gratitude for this free gift, we will look to help. We will look to serve others with kindness, with love, with gentleness. That's out of a gratitude of what God has done for us. While no action or work we, we do can help us gain salvation. God's intention is that our salvation will result in acts of service. Because of what God has done for you, you'll turn around and go, I'm so thankful. Use me in this. I want to do these things for this, this person because of what God has done for me. It's, it's responding in that gratitude in that way. We're not saved just for our own benefit, but to to serve Christ and build up the church. And so as a church is, is thankful for what God has done for them, the church should be thriving. The church should be serving one another. The church should be looking to do good works that God has prepared for us to do. And again, not because we need to do those to, to gain salvation. It's because of what he's done for us already. We are just grateful. Because of his plan for you, he has good things for you to do. So, remembering the cross is a good thing to do. Remembering the cross helps us to be refocused. Remembering the cross allows us to to have the right uh, perspective on things. Remember, take up the cross. Remember, Remember the cost of the cross. Remember the power of the cross and remember the freedom of the cross.
All those things we talked about in the, these uh, last few Sundays to be able to remind us that uh, that journey to the cross that Jesus took is something amazing that has changed our lives. And we need to be so thankful and be reminded of that each day. Today we are going to be reminded of that as well too as we have communion together. And this that we have prepared for, for us here today to be able to come to the Lord's table is something to remind us of what God has done for us in our lives. Be able to have the juice and the bread and uh, as we take those together, to remind, be reminded of how much God loves us. To be reminded of the what he's done for us on that cross. Be reminded that the tomb is empty. <laughs> be reminded that we serve a risen Savior. And so we come to the Lord's table and taking the juice and the bread together to help us be grateful. Did not forget to remember. Don't forget to remember what God has done for you. In that upper room, when Jesus gathered his his uh, disciples together, he did. Uh, there, he did gather the bread, and he broke it before uh, them, and he passed it around. And as Scripture tells us, he told the disciples to eat of this bread. This bread is is my body. He told them, broken for you. And so today, as we uh, come together and and are ready to uh, participate in this communion time, we also too have the bread before us. And the bread might be a little wafer for you guys who are in attendance. Those, those, those of you who are online, um, whatever that might look like, that's great. The idea is that it reminds us of, of, of Jesus' body broken for us. And that's the key thing. And so as uh, Jesus passed that bread among the disciples, they took it and they ate it. And they didn't realize later until later on what exactly was going on here. We have the good news before us. We live in this new covenant. We are reminded of what God has done for us. The bread reminding us of Jesus' body broken for us. He hung on that cross. He stayed there because of his love for you and his love for me. He could have come down easily. He could have changed his mind. He could have come down and struck everyone down in anger and, you know, broke the cross, all that stuff. And you could probably imagine some kind of theatrical event about that. But Jesus stayed there. His love for you kept him there. He knew the price that was needed to be paid. And so as uh, we are reminded of that and reminded of how much God loves you, and because of his sacrifice, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for us, we should be easily ready to take this bread with gratefulness and sincerity in our hearts. I'm going to pray, and we're going to take this bread together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for an opportunity to come into your house. Those who are joining us online as well, too, to be able to uh, take communion together. And I pray, Lord, that as we take this bread together, Lord, that we would be reminded of how much you love us and how much... Uh, you you are uh, anticipating us to be with you in heaven. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for your, your promise of, uh, of uh, uh, citizenship in heaven. And I pray, Lord, that uh, we would look forward to that. But in the meantime, as we are here 
serving you and uh, uh, loving others. Pray, Lord, that you would just continue to uh, equip us for those good works that we need to be doing and to help others know about you. Lord, thank you for your sacrifice on that cross. As we take this bread together, I pray that we take it with glad and sincere hearts, ready to be used by you. Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's take the bread together.